0: first configuration in the uh, conservative region far from the chaotic edge individual elements uh, coalesce slowly showing uh, no clearer pattern. Ian Malcolm aberrant forms in the fading afternoon light the helicopter skimmed low along the coast following the line where the dense jungle met the beach The last of the fishing villages had flashed by beneath them ten minutes ago. Now there was only impenetrable Costa Rican jungle, mangrove swamps and a mile after mile of deserted sand. Sitting beneath the pilot, Marty Gutierrez stared out of the window as the coastline swept past. There weren't even any roads in this area, at least none that Gutierrez could see. Gutierrez was quiet, bearded American of 36, a field biologist who had lived for the last eight years in Costa Rica. He had originally came to study toucan speciation in the rainforest, but stayed on as a consultant to the Reserva Biologica de Carrara, the national park in the north. He clicked the radio mic and said to the pilot, How much further? Five minutes, Senor Gutierrez. Gutierrez turned and said, It won't be long now. But the tall man folded up in the back seat of the helicopter didn't answer, or even acknowledge that would even been spoken to. He merely sat with his hands on his chin, and stared, frowning out the window. Richard Levine wore some faded field khakis, and an Australian slouch hat pushed low over his head. A battered pair of binoculars hung around his neck. But despite his rugged appearance, Levine conveyed an air of scholarly absorption. Behind his wire-framed spectacles, his features were sharp, his expression intense and critical as he looked out of the window. What is this place? It's called Rojas. Saw right far south? Yes, about fifty miles from the border of Panama. Levine stared out of the jungle. I don't see any roads, he said. How was the thing found? A couple of campers, Gutierrez said. They came in by a boat and landed on the beach. Uh, when was that? Well, yesterday. They took, a, they, took, they took one look at the thing and ran like hell. Levine nodded. With his long limbs folded up, his hands tucked under his chin, he looked like a praying mantis. That had been his nickname in graduate school. In part because of his appearance, and in part because of his tendency to bite off the head of anyone who disagreed with him. Kateria said, Been a Costa Rica before? No, first time, Levine said. And he gave an irritable wave on his hand, as if he didn't want to be bothered with small talk. Katerius smiled. After all these years, Levine had not changed at all. He was still one of the most brilliant and irritating men in science. The two had been fellow graduate students at Yale until Levine quit the doctoral programme to get a degree in comparative zoology instead. Levine announced he had no interest in the kind of contemporary field research that so attracted Guterres. Of characteristic contempt, he had once described Guterres' work as collecting crab from around the world. The truth was that Levine, brilliant and fastidious, was drawn to the past, to the world that no longer existed, and he studied this world with obsessive intensity. He was famous for his photographic memory, his arrogance, his sharp tongue, and the unconcealed pleasure he took in pointing out errors of colleagues. As a colleague once said, Levine never forgets a bone, and he never lets you forget it either. Field researchers disliked Levine and he returned the sentiment. He was at heart a man of detail, a cataloguer, of animal life, and he was happiest poring over museums' collections, resigning species, rearranging display skeletons. He disliked the dust and inconvenience of life in the field. Given his choice, Levine would never leave the museum, but it was his fate to live in the greatest period of discovery in the history of paleontology. The number of known species of dinosaur had doubled in the last twenty years, and new species were now being described at the rate of one every seven weeks. Thus, Levine's worldwide reputation forced him to continually travel around the world inspecting new finds and rendering his expert opinion to researchers who were annoyed to admit that they needed it. ''Where do you come from?'' Gutierrez asked him. ''Mongolia,'' Levine said. ''I was at the Flaming Cliffs in the in the Gobi Desert three hours out of Ulaanbaatar.'' ''Oh, what's there?'' ''John Ruxton's got a dig.'' He found an incomplete skeleton he thought might be a new species of Velociraptor, and wanted me to have a look. And? Levine shrugged. Roxton never really did know anatomy. He's an enthusiastic fundraiser, but if he actually uncovers something, he's uh, incompetent to proceed. Uh, you told him that. Why not, it's the truth. And the skeleton? The skeleton wasn't a raptor at all, Levine said. Metatarsal's all wrong. Pubis too ventral. Uh, ischium lacking a proper operator, and the long bones much too light. As for the skull, he wrote his eyes, the palatal's too thick, and turbidal fenestrae too rostral, distal crania too small. Oh, it goes on and on, and the transient unguals hardly present. So there we are. I don't know what Ruxton could have been thinking. I suspect he actually has a, a subspecies of Trudon although I haven't decided for sure. Trudon? Gutierrez said. Small Cretaceous Carnivore, two meters from Pez to a. Stabulum, in point of fact a rather ordinary theropod, and Roxton's find wasn't a particularly interesting example. Although, there was one curious detail. The material included an integumental artifact, an imprint of a dinosaur's skin. That itself is not rare. There are perhaps a dozen good skin impressions obtained so far, mostly among the, the Hadrosauridae, but uh, nothing like this, because it was clearer to me that this animal's skin had some very unusual characteristics not previously suspected in dinosaurs. Senores, Senores the pilot said, interrupting them, Juan Fernandez Bay is ahead. Levine said, Circle Ferris, can we? Levine looked out of the window, his expression intense again, the conversation forgotten. They were flying over jungle, they extended up to the hills for miles as far as they could see, the helicopter banked circling the beach. There it is now, Gutierrez said, pointing out the window. The beach was a clean, curving white crescent, entirely deserted in the afternoon light. To the south they saw a single dark mass in the sand. From the air it looked like a rock, or perhaps a large clump of seaweed. The shape was amorphous, about five feet across, there were lots of footprints around it. Who's been here, Levine said with a sigh. Public Health Service people came out earlier today. Did they do anything, he said. They touch it, disturb it in any way. I, I can't say, Gutierrez said. The Public Health Service, Levine repeated, shaking his head. What do they know? You should never let them near it, Marty. Hey, Gutierrez said. I don't run this country. I did best I could. I wanted to destroy it before you even got here. At least I managed to keep it intact until you arrived. Although I don't know how long they'll wait. Then we'd better get started, Levine said. He pressed a button on his mic. Why are we still circling? We're losing light. Get down on the beach now. I want to see this thing firsthand. Richard Levine ran across the sand toward the dark shape, his binoculars bouncing on his chest. Even from a distance, he could smell the stench of decay. And already he was logging his preliminary impressions. The carcass lay half-buried in the sand, surrounded by a thick cloud of flies. The skin was bloated with gas, which made identification difficult. He paused a few yards from the creature and took out his camera. Immediately, the pilot of the helicopter came up alongside him, pushing his hand down. No permitido. What? I'm sorry, senor. No pictures are allowed. Why the hell not? Levine said. He turned to Gutierrez, who was trotting down the beach towards him. Marty, why no pictures? This could be an important... Nor pictures, the pilot said again, and he pulled the camera out of Levine's hand. Marty, this is crazy! Just go ahead and make your examination, Gutierrez said. And then he began speaking in Spanish to the pilot, who answered sharply and angrily, waving his hands. Levine watched for a moment and then turned away. The hell with this, he thought. They could argue forever. He hurried forward, breathing through his mouth. The odour became very stronger as he approached it. Although the carcass was large, he noticed there were no birds, rats or other scavengers feeding on it. There were only flies, flies so dense they covered the skin and obscured the outline of the dead animal. Even so, it was clear that this had been a substantial creature, roughly the size of a cow or horse, before the bloat began to enlarge it further. The dry skin had cracked in the sun and it was now peeling upwards, exposing the layer of runny, yellow, subdermal fat beneath "'Oof, it stunk,' Levine winced. He forced himself closer, directing all of his attention to the animal. Although it was the size of a cow, it was clearly not a mammal. The skin was hairless. The original skin colour appeared to have been green, with a suggestion of darker striations running through it. The epidermal surface was pebbled in polygonal tubercles of varying sizes, the pattern reminiscent of the skin of a lizard. This texture varied in different parts of the animal, the pebula larger and less distinct on the underbelly. There were prominent skin folds at the neck, shoulder and hip joints, again like a lizard. But the carcass was large. Levine estimated the animal had originally weighed about a 100 kilograms, roughly 220 pounds. No lizards grew that large anywhere in the world except the Komodo dragons of Indonesia. Varanus komodoensis were nine feet long monitor lizards, crocodiles, sires, carnivores that ate goats and pigs, and on the occasion human beings as well. But there were no monitor lizards anywhere in the New World. Of course, it was conceivable that this was one of the iguanidae. Iguanas were found all over South America, and the marine iguanas grew quite large. Even so, this would be a record-sized animal. Levine moved slowly around the carcass towards the front of the animal. No, he thought. It wasn't a lizard. The carcass lay on its side, its left rib cage toward the sky. Nearly half of it was buried. The of protuberances that marked the dorsal spinous processes of the backbone were just a few inches above the sand. The long neck was curved, and the head hidden beneath the bulk of the body like a duck's head under feathers. Levine saw one fall him, which seemed small and weak. The distal appendage was buried in sand. He would dig that out and have a look at it but he wanted to take pictures before he disturbed the specimen in situ. In fact, the more Levine saw of the carcass, the more carefully he thought he should proceed, because one thing was clear, this was a very rare and possibly unknown animal. Levine felt simultaneously excited and cautious. If this discovery was as significant as he was beginning to think it was, then it was essential that it was properly documented. Up on the beach, Gutierrez was still shouting at the pilot, who kept shaking his head stubbornly. These banana republic bureaucrats, Levine thought. Why shouldn't he take pictures? It couldn't harm anything. And it was vital to document the changing state of the creature. He heard a thumping, and looked up to see a second helicopter circling the bay, its dark shadow sliding across the sand. The helicopter was ambulance-white, with red lettering on the side. In the glare of the setting sun, he couldn't read it. He turned back to the carcass, noticing now that the hind leg of the animal was powerfully muscled, very different from foreleg. It suggested that the creature walked upright, balancing on a strong hind legs. Many lizards were known to stand upright, of course, but none so large as this. In point of fact, as Levine looked at the general shape of the carcass, he felt increasingly certain that this was not a lizard. He worked quickly now, for the light was fading and he had much to do. With every specimen, there was always two major questions to answer, both equally important. First, what was the animal? And second, why had it died? Standing by the thigh, he saw the epidemis was split open, no doubt from a gaseous, subcutaneous build-up. But as Levine looked more closely, he saw that the split was in fact a sharp gash, and that it ran deep through the femur tibialitis, exposing red muscle and pale bone beneath. He ignored the stench, and the white maggots wriggled across the open tissue of the gash. Because he realised that... ''Sorry about all this,'' Guteria said, coming over. But the pilot just refuses. The pilot was nervously following Guteria, standing beside him, watching carefully. ''Marty,'' Levine said, ''I really need to take pictures here.'' ''I'm afraid you can't,'' Guteria said with a shrug. ''It's important, Marty.'' ''Sorry, I try my best.'' Farther down the beach the white helicopter landed, its whine diminishing. Men in uniforms began getting out. Marty, what do you think this animal is? Well I can only guess, Katira said. From the general dimensions I'd call it a previously unidentified iguana. It's uh exteriorly large, of course. And uh and obviously not native to Costa Rica. My guess is this animal came from the Galapagos or one of the No, Marty, Levine said. It's not an iguana. Before you say anything more, Gutierrez said, glancing at the pilot, I think you ought to know that several previously unknown species of lizards have shown up here in this area. Nobody's quite sure why. Perhaps it's due to the cutting of the rainforest or some other reason. But no species have been appearing. Several years ago, I began to see un- unidentified species of... Marty, it's not a damn lizard. Gutierrez blinked his eyes. What are you saying? Of course it's a lizard. I don't think so. Levine said. Gutierrez said, You're probably just thrown off because of the size. The fact is, here in Costa Rica, we occasionally encounter these barren forms. Marty, Levine said, coldly, I'm never thrown off. Well, of course, I, I, I didn't mean that, and I'm telling you, this is not a lizard, Levine said. I'm sorry, Gutierrez said, shaking his head, but I can't agree. Back at the white helicopter, the men were huddled together, putting on white surgical masks. I'm not asking you to agree, Levine said. He turned back to the carcass. The diagnosis is settled easily enough. All we need to do is excavate the head, or for that matter, any of the limbs. For example, this thigh here, which I believe. He broke off and leaned closer. He peered at the back of the thigh. What is it? Guterius said. Give me a knife. Why? Gutierrez said. Just give it to me. Gutierrez fished out his pocket knife put the handle in Levine's outstretched hand. Levine peered steadily at the carcass. I think you have found this interesting. What? Right along the posterior dermal line, there is a... Suddenly they heard shouting on the beach, and looked up to see men from the white helicopter running down the beach toward them. They carried tanks on their backs, and were shouting in Spanish. And what are they saying? Levine asked, frowning. Gutierrez sighed. They are saying get back. Tell them we're busy, Levine said, and bent over the carcass again. But the men kept shouting, and suddenly there was a roaring sound, and Levine looked up to see flamethrowers igniting, big red jets of flame roaring out in the evening light. He ran around the carcass towards the men, shouting, No, no! But the men paid no attention. He shouted, No, no, this this is priceless! And the first of the uniformed men grabbed Levine and threw him roughly to the sand. What the hell are you doing? Levine yelled, scrambled to his feet, but even as he said, he saw it was too late. The first of the flames had reached the carcass, blackening the skin, igniting the pockets of methane with a blue thump. The smoke from the carcass began to rise thickly into the sky. Stop it! Stop it! Levine turned to the Make them stop it! But Gutierrez was not moving. He was staring at the carcass, consumed by flames. The torso crackled and the fat spurted, and then the skin burned away. The black, flat ribs of the skeleton was revealed, and then the whole torso turned, and suddenly the neck of the animal swung up, surrounded by flames, moving as the skin contracted. And inside the flames Levine saw a long pointed snout, and rows of sharp predatory teeth, and hollow eye sockets. The whole thing burned like some medieval dragon, rising in flames up into the sky.